Welcome to the Campfire Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Ask almost anybody who's been to summer camp, whether they be kids or staff members, and they'll tell you, it is awesome. They will also tell you through their words, but mostly through their actions, that they learn a ton while there too. As a longtime camp director, youth sport coach, and father to three growing young men, I know the lessons that we learn at camp can be hugely beneficial for all of us back home in the real world. So, each week, I'll spend some time around the digital campfire talking with professionals from inside and around the summer camp world. We'll share their lessons, their ideas, and their practices in a way that I hope will be immediately useful for your life back home. So, pull up a seat, get your marshmallow ready to roast, and let's spend some time learning together around the campfire. Okay, so you know the internet is everywhere. Apps and games and emails. It's on our computers, it's in our TVs, it's in our pockets. It's, it's all out there. And it's up to us, the adults, to help our young people navigate the online world safely and productively, at least until they're old enough to make their own decisions. Thankfully, we've got people like my friend Joe Ryan to help us navigate this realm safely. After starting as a school resource officer in the Richmond County Sheriff Department, Joe Ryan became an education coordinator for the South Carolina Attorney General's Office. There, he spent his time reaching out and connecting with students and parents and community members in ways to help prevent online victimization of kids through the internet. Joe is a close friend at Camp Aquaic and is happy to share some of his ideas on how we can help our children stay safe while playing around in that digital sandbox and how we can help them create really good online habits so that they can be great online citizens. Without further ado, I hope you'll enjoy this night's campfire conversation with my friend, Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan, thank you so much for being around the campfire. Glad to be here, Cole. Thanks for having me. So we know each other through camp in a camp way. Um, Maddie, who is your your very close friend, partner, uh, living with you there in in Germany, which is a a really cool adventure for you guys, um, was our division head for a number of years at Camp Quake, was back this past summer. Uh, DH Maddie is a pretty amazing person. Uh, And she has brought you into our lives um, from a very different realm, although working with kids, uh, you've been working with internet security and safety, correct, for the last several years? Yeah, that's right. So um, I have had the, the great fortune to be involved with uh, the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force uh, in the U.S. Um, I worked as the education coordinator for the South Carolina Attorney General's Office in that capacity. And basically, in a nutshell, what that meant was that uh, my job is to go to schools, uh, community groups, and uh, different professional leaders and teach those students, parents, and professionals about what they can do to make sure that our young people stay safe while they're online and and really bridge the gap between the, the adults who are really trying to keep the kids safe and the kids who want to experience that technology in the way that it was meant to be experienced. Got it. So when you're working with kids and, and when you look at the data, what are some of the biggest things or things that you see most often with the kids? What, you know, is it cyberbullying? Is it talking with strangers? I mean, what, what are some of the things that you're really trying to guard against at the, at the top level? Yeah, so I think it really depends on 
where you're coming from. You know, I mean, if you're a parent, for instance, uh, you are really concerned with something like cyberbullying. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you're really concerned with just the exposure that your child is having to different content online, whether that's language that they hear while they're playing an online game or a person that they are talking to while they're on a social media platform or even, you know, new ideas and different ways of thinking that may not be the way that you encourage your child to think within your own home. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, you know, those tend to be a lot of the concerns that we see across all ages. Um, Where those lines start to cross uh, from the, the criminal side or the professional side, what we deal with is when we do start to see, number one, students using that technology for things that by law, uh, isn't allowed. So for instance, we're talking about something like sending inappropriate pictures to another person that's underage, um, possibly threatening another individual while they're online uh, with, you know, maybe bodily harm or some other issue. Uh, And then, you know, to get into the work that we really focus on in the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force is when our young people start these conversations and potentially relationships with adults online, and then those turn into some kind of criminal activity, whether that's the solicitation side, whether that mm-hmm. is the, uh, the pictures that become involved with it, potentially uh, children running away from home to be with these individuals. And then the, at the worst, you know, when these two people come into physical contact and mm-hmm. some sort of assault takes place. Yeah, it's just so incredibly scary. What's what's the prevalence of the that happening? We just talked about kind of the worst case scenario. You know, we're all online, so the numbers are, are staggering. What's the, how I'm just trying to set kind of the bar and what what really happens and really doesn't. How many times do you see something like that actually occur? So it's a tough question to answer because if you look at it on one hand, it sounds like a lot, and if you mm-hmm. look at it on the other hand, it, it doesn't sound like too much, and so. Uh, For instance, in South Carolina, you know, I mean, our numbers have really shot up in the last few years, and it's really unclear as to why that is. You know, it could be the fact that more people are online. It could be the fact that the incidents are occurring at a higher frequency. It could be the fact that we are getting better at finding out about these things happening. You know, so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that add up to it. But at the end of the day, within a state like South Carolina that has approximately 6 million people uh, living there, you know, you're talking about our task force making somewhere in the one to 300 arrests a year kind of category, Holy which, cow. which, which sounds like an immense amount, right? I mean, when we think about the fact that there's 100, 200, 300 of these uh, predators that are out there within a state. And, and when you, you put that into the context of a state that has 6 million people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, start to recognize that that number is pretty small percentage wise. Mm-hmm. But if that's your child, yeah. right. If that, if that is someone whose life that you're involved in, then, mm-hmm. then you don't really care about those other 6 million people. You care about that, that one kid. So it really depends on, on how we look at it uh, in terms of the, the prevalence. But one thing that I always like to point out is that we know that the vast majority of cases where a child is the target of abuse or assault is going to be through someone that they already know, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be through, uh, unfortunately, a family member, a family friend, uh, 
a teacher, uh, you know, someone who's already in their life. Um, and so there, there's this disconnect, right, where we, we start to hear these cases of online predators and, and it really strikes fear in our hearts. And we start to try to lock down all of these things that our kids are doing online, whether it's playing video games or using social media or talking to people or texting people. And it's because we have this fear that mm -hmm. this, you know, uh, what we like to call, you know, that, that boogeyman is going mm -hmm. to show up and, and steal our kids away from us. And does that happen? Unfortunately, it does. But we have to make sure that we don't let that fear keep us from allowing our kids to use the technology that's, that's there mm -hmm. and that can potentially be beneficial to them while, mm -hmm. while guiding them to ensure that it's not detrimental. Absolutely. Well, and we know even at Wequaic how much our kids connect with each other that live hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles away from each other. Um, you know, when I grew up going to camp, we'd write letters every now and then, but now, you know, my boys have got friends that are, you know, in California and Europe and, you know, up and down the coast and, and are able to connect this way, whether it's through, you know, having football, fancy football leagues with each other or, or talking on Skype or Zoom or, you know, FaceTime or whatever it may be. So the technology certainly is there. So when our parents think about their children coming back home from the safe confines of camp and they want to let them go off into the digital sandbox, if you will, what are some of the things that you suggest from a, um, how should parents approach that in an open way and a safe way? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question because the example that you pointed out is, is phenomenal, right? I mean, that's what we want. We, we send our kids to camp to make these long-lasting connections with other people that are their age, and these are going to be lifelong friends that they're going to potentially have. And we don't want those friendships to only last for three weeks or six weeks, right? I mean, we want those friendships to last the entire year. So, of course, our kids are going to want to come back and, and be involved with those people I think a big thing for parents is to be willing to, to reach out and touch base with other parents, mm. right? I mean, we, one of the big disconnects between the generations is that as adults, oftentimes we're not comfortable reaching out to a stranger. We're not comfortable having a conversation with somebody online that we've never met before in real life. And so maybe my kid comes back from camp and they've made a new friend and it's easier for me to just say, you can talk to them next year when you get back to camp. Or maybe it's easier for me to say, all right, you know, just do whatever you're going to do and be careful because I don't really know how to go about it. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, the best thing we can do is, is be involved. And I, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about being a helicopter parent. I'm not talking about being overly involved or looking over your kid's shoulder 24 seven, but making the initiative to talk to the other parents, you know, confirm that, that this kid is who they say they are, confirm that, they live where they say they live, you know, make an introduction to the parents and the kids on something like a Skype or a FaceTime where everybody can see everybody on the exact same camera. And I know who I'm talking to mm -hmm. and I get a feel for who this kid is and I get a feel for who the parents are. And then going over with those parents, you know, maybe once the kids are in a separate area and we're just having <laughs> one conversation as adults, you know, what, what my rules are for online interaction, right? Because I, who live in you know a, a certain state in the U.S., uh, maybe I live in South Carolina, maybe my child's new friend lives in California, uh, maybe they live in a different country, and maybe we have different ideas on what's okay, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I let my kid 
use Snapchat whenever they want to. And maybe I let them play Fortnite for 12 hours a day. And maybe this other parent says, hey, my kid doesn't have any social media. My kid doesn't play any online games. And that creates a barrier, right? Because now my kid thinks that they can't talk to their friend, but maybe all it takes is a conversation. Maybe it takes away from you to say, well, you know what? Let's find a way that they can communicate, whether it's just through text messages, whether it's through a certain app that we all find to be agreeably safe and Mm -hmm. secure. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's helping that other parent come to realize that some of the things that they were so afraid of, there isn't such a need to be afraid of, right? And maybe it's the other side too, right? I mean, maybe I'm the parent who's very overly protective and my child wants to talk to their friend they met at camp who wants to, you know, play a video game on Xbox Live and I've told my kid, no, you absolutely can't play on Xbox Live or, or they mm-hmm. want to be friends on Snapchat. And I told my kid, hey, you can't be on Snapchat until you're a certain age. Maybe that other parent helps me navigate that process. And, and one of the big resources that we tend to overlook as adults is the knowledge and experience of other people who have already gone through some of the same things that we are going through as parents mm-hmm. and being willing to have those conversations can grant parents a lot of insight into how to handle particular situations. Absolutely. It's interesting from my standpoint, it's kind of the nexus between a lot of families. Um, I usually get mostly the problems, you know, the rare occasions where someone feels like they're being left out or cyberbully. We had a situation where a parent called me and handled it beautifully lately um, where they said that it seems like a bad joke went around and my kid was a butt of it. I don't think it was, you know, meant that way. However, this is how my daughter took it. Could you get me in touch with the other set of parents? Like, you know, let me reach out first to make sure it's okay. And then the parents like, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. Let's figure this out together. So I think one of the things that parents have to remember is that our children using the phones and, and social media, they still don't understand how to how context works. They still don't really understand how to communicate really well. They don't understand kind of next, you know, second, third level principles and how it reacts, you know, people react downstream. So if parents can say, all right, this kid who might be seen as the aggressor really hurt my child. Okay. Well, odds are they might not have meant it or they certainly didn't realize the effect they were going to have. Why would we get them on, on the phone? Let's talk this through logically, thoughtfully, you know, patiently and then we'll use as a teaching moment going forward. Um, but I, I love that idea of having parents get together before their kids really start connecting even more uh, across the, the years. Yeah. And, and I think the example that you gave, those parents handled it beautifully, right? Because right. I mean, there are parents out there who would have just said, okay, well, that's it. We're going to delete your social media. There are parents who would have gotten the contact information from you about the other parents and just, gone off on them when the mm-hmm. phone picked up because they were so mad at the other child. But those parents had that wisdom to say, look, this is an issue, right? This, this is a problem. It doesn't mean that this other kid is a bad kid. It doesn't mean these other parents are bad parents. It just means that something happened that mm-hmm. I want to try to make sure it doesn't happen again, whether it's mm-hmm. or somebody else. And, and what's most important there, like you said, is recognizing that these are learning and growth opportunities, right? right? I mean, oftentimes we get so bogged down in this idea of punishment Mm -hmm. that we forget about the idea that's so related, which is discipline, right? Right. Which 
And people oftentimes treat those words as if they're exact synonyms. And, you know, punishment is just a negative consequence, right? But discipline is about teaching and about learning. And, and so many parents have this idea that that's supposed to happen, but somebody else is going to be the one to do it, right? I mean, when it comes to technology, we, we think, okay, well, I'm, I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60, uh, I don't know anything about this technology, so it's my kid's teacher's job to teach them about it. It's their librarian's job to teach them about it. You know, it's it's someone else's job to teach them about this technology because I don't know. If you don't know enough to teach your kids about this stuff, then that's that's a something that as a parent you have to remedy, right? You don't have to become a technology expert mm-hmm. because, as a matter of fact, most of the issues, just like the one that you highlighted aren't really technology issues, right? I mean, that same thing could have happened uh, 20 years ago as a, a rumor that was, you know, set on the playground or right. something that was passed around in the hallways or a piece of note that was passed around in a classroom. I mean, that exact same thing could have happened at that point. It, it's not a technology issue. It's an interpersonal relationship issue. And the good news is that we have a lot of experience with that. We have to make sure that we know how to apply that experience in a digital age, but we really can't help our kids navigate most of these social situations that we might be intimidated by just because they take place on a digital device. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We've come back to that, that basis. It's all about the relationships and the parents are certainly more expert. I'm not saying every parent is an expert, but they're certainly more expert than their children you know, are in those situations. So one of the things we talk about, you know, that different generations, you know, you've got the kids and you've got the parents. At camp, you've got a sandwich generation. You've got the near-peer staff members. Um, and one of the things we talk about at Wequake is that we don't want our staff members to have online relationships with our campers throughout the year because it's a privacy issue and because you know, we can't control that interaction as a camp. How do you look at that? How What's your thought process on that? You know, you've got these wonderful 19 to 22, 25 year old young men and women that are amazing, you know, and yet we do tell them we don't want you interacting with the kids, you know, privately online throughout the year without us knowing every bit, everything about it. What's your standpoint on that? Yeah. I mean, I think to, to be the hyper practical uh, adult in the room, from a liability point of view, absolutely, right? I mean, for, if you're talking pure liability, yeah, it's not a great idea to have what, what we're going to technically consider to be an employee, right? Mm-hmm. Having a, a strong, basically uh, unmonitored personal relationship with a child, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's going to be a really tough thing to navigate. Because those relationships can turn very quickly, you know? I mean, if you've got a, a child at camp who's, who's 16 years old, and you've got a near-peer counselor who's 18 years old, right? I mean, there's, there's nothing in, in this world that says that those two people couldn't start a relationship, right? There's nothing that says that those two people couldn't start something that might cross a, a boundary of what we would want to be that professional relationship between mm-hmm. those two people. And so when that digital side gets involved, it becomes difficult. Now, I think it's more clear-cut in cases of, say, a school, right? I mean, we, we don't necessarily want our teachers or our school counselors or our school administrators or our coaches to have our kids' numbers or Snapchat and be sending the messages at one, two, three o'clock in the morning uh, because that, that really creates a, a dynamic to that relationship that's, mm-hmm. that's not appropriate. 
Right. But when you've got those near peer uh, relationships, the good news is that we've got people who understand the role that technology plays in these young people's lives, typically a little bit better than say their parents or other adults in their lives. And it does create the opportunity for a level of mentorship. It creates Mm -hmm. uh, the opportunity for a level of uh, just being a good role model Mm -hmm. that we don't always see from say a parent, right? I mean, yourself, uh, tech savvy individual, you know, I mean, you have to keep up with how to use this stuff to, to run your business effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, and, and you have teenagers, right? So, I mean, you know about online gaming, you know about Instagram, you know about Facebook, but you may not use it enough to provide a realistic, positive role model, for instance, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, you might not be a person who posts on Snapchat every day. You might not be a person who posts on Instagram every day. You might not be a person who even posts on Facebook every day. Sure. And so I, I do want to try to find somewhere, maybe not as the, the near peer mentor through Camp Quake, right? Maybe as somewhere else, maybe a, a cousin, an older sibling, uh, maybe someone from, uh, you know, if I'm involved in a church and I've got a, a youth pastor or something like that, someone mm-hmm. who's a little bit older than my child who can provide this sense of being a good role model, not necessarily by saying, not necessarily by coming in and having a conversation and telling them what to do, but merely by leading by example. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that can be a very powerful tool when our kids can see, you know, this is someone who I want to be like, this is someone who I identify with, right? They're only two, three, four, five years older than me. I see myself being like them as I get a little bit older. And this is how they manage their social media. This is how they carry themselves online. This is how they portray themselves. This is how they show their online reputation. Those are skills that can be very valuable for our kids to learn. And a lot of times they can learn those very well from people that might be a little bit closer to their own age. Yeah, I think that's such a huge piece. I, I've, I've got in my head that I want to do a short video now of, of these great counselors that we have just talking about being kind online, you know, because that's, that's what a great reminder. I think a lot of camps, a lot of teachers, a lot of organizations would do well to have kind of some of their shining stars that are close in age to those kids hold up their phone on a little video and say, this is how I do this. And this is why I do this. And this is, you know, we want you to be like us. And yeah. That- there's this idea, especially amongst high school uh, age students that gets perpetuated by adults a lot that basically says you shouldn't use social media. Right. Because, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's always this idea that gets put out there that once you put it out there, you can't get it back. And if you make a mistake, it's going to ruin you for the rest of your life. And the downside is that you don't have the opportunity anymore to highlight the positive aspects of your personality online, mm-hmm. which is like, something that people are wanting to see now. Right. I mean, when I apply for a job, when I apply for a scholarship, when I apply for school, those people, those admissions officers, those HR representatives, they're probably going to search for me on Google. They're probably going to search for me on Instagram. They're probably going to search for me on Facebook and Snapchat and and every other platform that they can think of. And what's better than having no presence Mm -hmm. is having a positive presence. right? Right. And so if we can show, like you said, Hey, it's not 
me making a video of my counselors saying, I don't use social media because it can get me in trouble. It's <laughs> you use social media and I use it to make myself look even better to create opportunities for myself and right. to have people see the way I want to be seen portrayed through that platform, right? I think that's a really good way to help them understand that we're not telling you you can't use social media. We just really want to make sure that you're using it for your own benefit. Right. And I think that that's where the the power of some of the parents come in, because when I hear you say that, one of my first thoughts is, well, let's not airbrush it to the point of perfection. You know, the idea is this is who I am. This is the real thing. These are my relationships. This is what makes, you know, me, me. Um, to the extent that I can show that online. Yeah, absolutely. We don't want to sugarcoat things. I mean, of course, <laughs> nobody wants to, to post on their worst day, right? I don't want to post a, a terrible <laughs> picture of myself. I don't want to post when I'm having a fight with my significant other, right? I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that, that will make you look bad online potentially. But it doesn't always have to be perfect, right? It doesn't always have to be rainbows and sunsets in the background. You know, I don't always have to have the perfect smile. I don't always have to be, you know, making eye contact with the camera. You know, that right. there are things that can be portrayed. But the big thing is, like you said, letting your personality show, making sure people know that you're interested in the things that you're interested in, you care mm -hmm. about that you care about those are parts of your personality that we want to come through we're not looking for perfection right we want to see who you really are and of course that's going to look a little bit different online than it does in real life there's there's no way we're ever going to change that but the good news about online is that i do get to choose right i mean i do I'm get to pick how people see me and because of that I should strive to make that version of myself as positive as possible. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot about what we talk about at camp, you know, you want your best self coming out. That's, you know, you can, you can, like you said, you get to choose what you put out there. That's great. So as we're kind of coming to a close here, I know you've, you've got a lot of stuff going on in Germany right now. Um, what would you tell parents? How would you advise parents as their children are leaving camp, going back into school, what are some of the, the pieces of advice that you give them to keep their children, number one, safe online, uh, and number two, interacting in, in the best way online? Yeah, I think what, one of the key pieces of advice for parents is just continue to have open communication with your mm -hmm. kids. You know, continue to have these conversations. There are going to be days when they don't want to talk to you at all about anything much less about what's going on on social media, right? I mean, there are going to be days when they don't want to communicate with you one bit, but I want to keep those conversations open. Number two, it's a partnership, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we look at this as adversarial, right? We think I'm the adult. I dislike technology. This is my child. They love technology and either I'm right or they're right. And there can only be one way. And, and that is a, a terrible attitude to take, right? Because at the end of the day, even if that's the case, even if it is that you hate technology and your kid loves technology, neither one of those things are going to change, right? I mean, you're not going to immediately become a social media guru and, mm -hmm. and get a million followers and, and love it, right? And your kid's not going to throw away their phone and never use it again. So even <laughs> if it's the case that I'm at one total end of the spectrum, my child is at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, my job shouldn't be to get them to come to my side, right? My job is just to narrow that gap down a little bit, right? Take a few steps in their direction, 
help them take a few steps in your direction, right? Mm-hmm. Make some compromises. Uh, one of the, the skills that we really encourage for parents is, is the skill to sit down with their kids and, and make some guidelines for, for mm-hmm. how to use some of these uh, digital networks or devices. And that doesn't mean you writing out a list of rules and having your kids sign <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, it becomes a conversation. And, and one of the, the best examples I, I heard was, you know, a mom who basically, you know, sat down with her daughter, came up with some of these things and arbitrarily just kind of created this idea that her daughter couldn't use her smartphone before school. Just, you know, as she was getting ready in the morning, um, you know, getting dressed, eating breakfast, getting out the door, mom had just said, you know, there's, there's just no reason you need your phone in the morning. It's just not, it's mm-hmm. not a big deal. And a little bit later on down the line, the girl came to her mom and said, you know, mom, I, I really want to use my phone in the morning. And the reason was because she really wanted her friends to help her pick out her outfits for school that day. You know, she really wanted some input from her friends, um, you know, to make sure that they weren't going to accidentally wear the same thing or that if they wanted to try to coordinate an outfit. And, you know, that's a very uh, teenage mindset. And mm-hmm. but honestly, it's a very pure mindset. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with her wanting to do that as long as those parameters are set. Right. So if mom can say, look, it's not like you're wanting to use that phone in the morning to uh, you know, talk to your boyfriend and make us late. You know, it's not like you want to do it to post a hundred selfies on Snapchat, right? You just want to do it to coordinate your outfit with your friends. That's cool. As long as say that doesn't start making us late in the morning, right. or as long as it doesn't start creating drama in our morning routine, because <laughs> about some of your friends say, then sure, you can use your phone in the morning to for this purpose, and and it shouldn't be a big deal, right? So it's being willing to have your kids come to you and say, you know, I'd like to make a change, or I'd like to try something different, mm-hmm. and and making sure that if you're saying no, there's a reason you're saying no, right? And a lot of parents have that uh, that idea where I hear this thing, you know, my kid wants Snapchat or they want to play a certain game online, and I just say no because maybe I've heard a lot of bad stuff about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't have an actual reason, right? I don't, I don't really know what that bad stuff is, or I haven't really taken the time to educate myself about it. If I'm going to tell my child no to something, I should be able to clearly articulate why I'm saying no to that thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. It, it makes me think back to my senior prom when I went up to my father, who, you know, we always had a very specific curfew. And I said, Dad, look, I've done this, this, this. You know, I really went to bat for myself. I'd like not to have a curfew, my senior prom. And he looked at me and said, You know what? You're right. You know, you've done everything I've asked you to do. Go for it. It's not going to hurt us. You, if there's a problem, you got to call us. No problems. Like I, I left that room thinking, wow, okay, I can go to bat for myself. I think if more parents allowed and kind of taught their children how to negotiate to say, well, I'd like to do this because of this reason. It's like, okay, well, if that's in the confines of what's appropriate for us, great. And like you said, if it's not, let me tell you why it's not. So, all right, I, thanks for coming to bat, but this is the reason why we're not going to do it that way. Um, it also makes me think of every first night of camp, our kids sit down with their counselors and they come up together with a list of bunk expectations. You know, I think that that's such a powerful way to sit down you know, with your kids when you at a phone or computer and say, all right, what are, are going to be our expectations? And by our, I mean all of ours. Um, and let me tell you what's not going to work and let me, let's see what else will work. Um, and kind right. of it provides, it provides this autonomy, right? It provides a sense of power in, mm-hmm. in that relationship. 
and especially for teenagers, they really need that, right? They need mm. to feel like they have some level of control over their lives that, uh, you know, there's so many things going on that they don't control, whether it's going to mm-hmm. school or, you know, things that are going on with personal relationships that they're having or whatever the heck is happening with their bodies at the moment. You know, I mean, there's all right. kinds of stuff going on. They have zero control over. Give them a little power. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're giving up your power, right? It's just right. like the conversation you have with your dad. In that moment, your dad still could have said no. Absolutely. I knew he was going to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, you knew he was going to, you took the chance. It worked out because even though he maintained that power to say no, he he took the chance to say yes. And and I'm going to assume that your senior prom night went okay, right? You you didn't uh, total your car, you know, there there was no, you know, (laughs) criminal record, no one coming to bail you out of jail, right? Everything turned out fine. And when we don't give our kids a chance to show us what they can do, mm-hmm. then we rob them of that opportunity, right? And, and that's that's not what we want. We want our kids to be able to show us continued growth. I want yeah. my I don't want my child to be the same uh, as an eighteen year old high school senior as they were when they were a thirteen year old middle school student. I don't want that kid to be the same, right? I'm not doing my job as a parent if my child is the exact same for those five years. They should be growing and maturing. And my job is to help navigate that, not stunt it because I'm fearful. I love that. Well, it's, I think that's a, a wonderful place to end. Let's, let's help our kids navigate the world and the, the pathway to adulthood um, with this wonderful tool that we've got, this technology. It, it certainly can be a, a great experience. So awesome. Joe, um, if people want to reach out to you, you know, online... <laughs> Uh, and learn more, what, what would be the best way for them to do that? Are you, are you on the social media handles and that sort of thing? Yeah. So um, just given where I am right now with, with my life, I don't have any uh, active social media that I'm using in a professional capacity, but mm-hmm. I'm happy to share my email address uh, just to give people a, a place to, to reach out to if they want a little bit of guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just going to be uh, jeryan87 at gmail.com. Uh, you know, I'm happy to have someone send me an email, ask a question. Uh, right now, my personal path is that I'm continuing my education. I'm, I'm studying a master's program in ethics and technology. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm still going down the same path. I still want to focus on working with youth. I still want to focus on incorporating technology the best way we can. Yeah. Uh, just in that professional capacity right now, I'm kind of putting things on hold. But But I'd be happy to... Uh, help anyone who might need some guidance in that department. And what are some other online resources or, or resources you know, that people can look at for locally to learn more about this? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, one big one is Common Sense Media. Common Sense Media is a uh, nonprofit organization that really focuses on this idea of digital citizenship. So just how can I continue to be a good citizen while I'm online? Um, there's a couple of other organizations out there, NetSmarts, which is the uh, education side of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of great information online. Uh, the Family Online Safety Institute uh, has a really good website where they run a blog called Good Digital Parenting that mm-hmm. I encourage parents to, to check out. They just write a lot of good information that really helps with the wisdom side of things mm-hmm. not necessarily that that knowledge side of things that parents are normally so excited mm-hmm. about but just the idea of how to talk to your kids and, and what your kids might be thinking and how you can better connect with them so those are just some some really brief uh easy to access uh, 
places that people can go. But honestly, a, a quick Google search of internet safety is going to get you dozens, if not hundreds of websites that are out there. Just be a little careful because some of those websites have some bias tied into them. And mm. some of them, you know, take a, a stance on it that's politically driven. Some of them take stances on it that are uh, driven by their particular religion. Um, and, and you just got to make sure that you're finding the right resources that mesh with the things that you're teaching your child within your own home. Gotcha. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, I'll put all those links up online as well uh, for, for families to see. So, Joe, thank you so much for spending some time around the campfire. This is a, a hugely important topic. Um, and I love the wisdom that, that you're able to share with us and, and, and you know, your generous time here. I know you got a lot on your plate up there, but I, I really, really appreciate you spending time around the campfire talking about Internet safety um, and helping our parents and our kids navigate that together. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you next summer. Awesome. Sounds good, man. Good to see you. Take it easy. Technology is not going anywhere. The connection and the information and the entertainment that our kids hold in their hands or sit in front of, it's, it's not going away. It's up to us, the adults, to teach and guide and educate and shape our young people's responses to and the interaction with that technology. It's up to us to keep them safe while they gain their digital footing, as it were. I love the ideas that Joe spoke about and we'll be putting them into practice in our home. And I hope there'll be some good ideas for you as well. I can't tell you how much it made me think of those first nights of camp where our kids and staff members sit in a circle together, come up with the expectations for the bunk, sign those expectations, and then post them so that everybody can see. That way, when there's a behavior that falls out of line with the agreed upon expectations, the counselors or the other campers can point to the agreements and say, hey, that's what we decided on. And you also get to come back every couple of weeks and take a look at it and say, do these expectations make sense? Should we make some changes? And if so, why? And I think that getting to that why behind the decisions is the most important aspect of this whole thing. If we can help our children understand the why behind why we ask them not to do certain things online or don't have full, complete access to their phones 24-7, it can be useful for them. They might not agree with it at first, but at least they'll understand it. Well, that's enough for this evening. Thanks so much for joining us around the campfire. If you enjoyed this show, please make sure to check back for more podcasts that focus on bringing the learning of camp to the larger world. If you like what you hear, please leave a review and tell your friends. We've got a great big campfire circle and everyone is welcome. Until we speak again, go out there and do good and be good. Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. Scope stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. Scope campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at support scope.